and we welcome you in once again to Father Spitzer's Universe at the very busy intersection of faith and reason as it is each week. And I'm Doug Keck, your host, coming to you, of course, from the mothership, as we'd say, where Mother Angelica began it all back in 1981 in Irondale, Alabama. And we wish you to email your questions to us at spitzersuniverse at ew10.com because that's what helps drive the show. And of course, we'd like you to get informed, so check out Father Spitzer's Magic Center website, CredibleCatholic.com, and his new website, PurposefulUniverse.com. And next week, there might be another one. You never know. They, they keep multiplying here. And of course, the show is always available on EW10's On Demand, and we want to, that's on the web. So if you have friends who don't get EW10 normally, go to the web and they can watch the show on demand or on our YouTube channel as well, as long as Father's answers are, are politically correct, that is. And of course, our show topic is uh, Signs of Demonic Possession from Father's book, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives, naturally available through the EW10 Religious Catalog. We assume you have it already. If you don't, uh, what's taking you so long? The book of the month from EW10 Publishing is Graceful Living by the one and only Johnette Benkovic, of course, Williams, uh, Meditation Help You Grow Closer to God Day by Day. And it's great, especially at the beginning of the year, uh, a great uh, gift to give somebody if you miss them at Christmas time. And with that being said, we turn to Father Spitzer, who will lead us in prayer. Thank you, Father. Sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, the blessing especially of this ministry and our ability to participate in it. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit down upon us today, Doug, myself, our whole audience, so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask all of these things through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray, pray for, for us. us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father. Great to see you. Hope everything is well with you. All is well. <laughs> Good. Let's get to a couple of uh, stories in the paper in the last week or so. I thought this was a story that kind of popped up over the last month or so, but I wanted to ask yeah. you about it because having been a college president, and it's about that yeah. uh, male swimmer who's uh, swimming for the University of Pennsylvania as a transgender swimmer, Leah Thomas, uh, yeah. and competing against uh, women here in, uh, you know, in the Ivy League competition and basically yep. shattering records. And uh, one comment yeah. this person made here was, I think everybody secretly knows that everybody thinks this isn't really right. What would, what would be your situation, what would be your take if you were dealing with this when you were at Gonzaga? Yeah. Well, I would, first of all, be asking the women athletes and the women coaches, and uh, you would get the truth in a hurry. I don't think any of them like it. I think they think it is a real travesty to sports, and I think what they're doing is using a person's, uh, basically, um, their uh, so-called um, identity, gender identity, which they consider to be purely psychological, mm -hmm. and confusing it with actually authenticating their biological gender identity, um, which of course um, um, is uh, not the same at all. Mm -hmm. And I think um, the point is, is just because you believe that you are um, of a different gender or you have uh, physical operations that make you seem 
uh, to appear a little bit more like the other gender, you are not really mm -hmm. biologically the other gender, and you should not be um, uh, allowed to compete on that basis. Mm -hmm. uh, the the you know ability to compete must be based on the biological facts of the person, right. not on their perceived self-identity. So I think right. the and the answer to that question would be handled very easily if you just ask the right. women athletes and the women coaches. Well, it would be like somebody who's 18 years old suddenly deciding they identified as a 10-year-old and wanted to play in the 10-year-old league, uh, <laughs> yeah. right? And exactly. uh, so, well, I think exactly. I'm 10 and, and was dominating, yeah. uh, you know, that, yeah. uh, that league with their performance because uh, they were obviously yeah. so much older and hence so much... Uh, you know, uh, yeah. more developed. Throwing 100 kind of mile per hour idea. pitches at the 10 year olds. Yeah. Right, exactly. 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 Yeah. That's why we, we do those things. Here was another, uh, and, mm -hmm. and, and part of this came up uh, before Christmas, we talked a little bit about it. It's uh, Archbishop Gomez from um, Los Angeles, huh? who you know well, of course. Yeah. Um, sure. and, 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 and he pointed out in a couple of talks, one all the way back in, in November and then uh, in Madrid and another one after that about the idea mm -hmm. of this kind concept we're dealing with in the world he calls it an elite leadership class that has arisen one with little interest in religion or local traditions or cultures this elite group runs corporations governments universities the media and various cultural and professional establishments he goes on to mm -hmm. talk about this process of secularization that basically means de-christianization uh, as one of our popes mm -hmm. has warned as well uh, you know, Holy Father mm -hmm. uh, Benedict and also uh, uh, Pope Francis about, you know, especially in Europe and the Christian roots of Europe being uh, basically denied. Uh, and he goes on yeah. to say, and we recognize that often what is being canceled and corrected in these cancel culture and political correctness situations are basically perspectives that are rooted in Christian beliefs about human life and the human person, about marriage, the family, and more. Yeah, he's absolutely correct. Uh, exceedingly insightful uh, from a person who is very intelligent himself and um, well-educated. Uh, I would just uh, say, you know, when you think about an elite class, uh, what you're talking about is people who can promote each other, promote themselves. So they all have a certain level of education, and they all have, a, uh, because of that, a certain level of influence. And what happens is when these educated influencers uh, decide that they're going to have some kind of a common rooted uh, series of core beliefs uh, to formulate culture around, uh, they can use their shared influence and their mutual influence. They can cause that cultural view, that set of beliefs, to rise above other views because they have control of technologies or they have control of the media or they have control of the educational establishment. And when they do this in a mutually corroborative way, they can change the culture and, and frankly, change the culture in ways that are not particularly good for, as um, um, uh, Archbishop Gomez said, for religious people or good for people who have certain other cultural backgrounds that don't match what the elite culture's uh, views are. Now, in the, the elite culture, the tendency is always to move toward a greater sense of autonomy and freedom. Whether that's good or not, they, they, they don't analyze it. They just say, this is what we want. 
We want more autonomy and we want more freedom. And so what are we going to do? We're going to change cultural institutions that seem to impede that. Well, churches seem to impede autonomy and freedom. They say that somehow God ought to be involved in whether or not uh, a decision uh, should, you know, whether we should be free to do certain kinds of things. Or not just God being involved, or, you know, the good ought to be involved, or objective moral principles ought to be involved in whether or not we're going to uh, assess whether freedom is good here or not. I go back um, uh, to Solzhenitsyn's mm. uh, speech, I think it was way back in 76 or something uh, at Harvard University, mm -hmm. where he basically said, Yes, this is the same thing with the elite class. Yes, we are facing an elitist um, uh, movement, not just in the universities themselves, but as you pointed out, the media, the industrial establishment, etc. All these things, right? Eisenhower warning against that, you know, nice little bedtime relationship between the military and the industrial uh, complex. And so, again, we have. The, the, the same kind of collection of people, but now their orientation is to, uh, you know, optimize autonomy and freedom. Well, that's really great when you have a good education, a good job, and you're hanging around a lot of influential people. That's great. Mm -hmm. uh, maximize autonomy. That, that, that sounds uh, uh, good. But, of course, uh, y you know, you have to subject yourself to some standards, or do you? Or just because you say it and you're the elite, does that mean it's good? Or is there an objective standard of the good beyond yourself, an objective standard of the good that is established by God or religion or some kind of natural reasoning or by collective conscience, indeed conscience that's based on traditional and perennial principles that have turned out to represent the collective conscience, conscience of people over the ages, over centuries, uh, you know, uh, and, and you can't, you're going to just uh, you're, say that because you want to have to be free from those kinds of traditional constraints, free from the constraints to objective principles, free from the constraints of religion, that everybody, this will be good for the culture, this will be good for all peoples, it'll be a travesty for all peoples. As I just said, I'm finishing a book with Ignatius Press right now mm -hmm. uh, called The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church, A Defense of Her Controversial Moral Teachings. And in that book, I very much talk about um, this uh, whole idea of what is happening in our culture as we elevate autonomy and freedom above objective standards of the good, above religion, above traditional uh, standards that reflect the collective conscience of people over generations. What happens when you say autonomy and freedom stands above all of it? We don't have to make recourse to any of it. What happens to the culture? Number one, we see a, an incredible decrease in the emotional health of people, marked by super rapid increases pre-COVID mm -hmm. of depression, anxiety, and a variety of other things, including suicides, homicides, etc. Per capita homicides and suicides, especially among young people, are skyrocketing out of sight. They're accelerating so fast. And you go, well, gee, what's going on here? Why would this be? They have more material wealth. They've got very good education. This is all pre-COVID. Why? Why would this be happening? And, of course, the idea is because culture is elevating freedom 
above the good, yeah. objective standards of the good, above religion. And of course, conscience is within us. There's a moral force and suasion, even as you know, people like Immanuel Kant would have said, are very clearly present in our being. There's something about conscience in which the divine is absolutely speaking through us with respect to these objective moral standards that we all hold in just about every culture around the world to be uh, true and good. Well, here's our problem then. I mean, in the elitist culture, uh, where you, you say, well, we've got the influence to do it because we said it and we're the influencers, we're the educated, we proclaim it to be so. We proclaim it to be good because we said so. Skip the traditions, skip objective standards, skip principles, skip natural reasoning, skip religion, and skip the collective conscience of people. We're just asserting this. Autonomy and freedom are the basic values of our culture. You will see mm -hmm. it's not just going to be the emotional health of people that's going to be rapidly declining, but the spiritual health of people is rapidly declining. And if the spiritual and emotional health is declining, then relational health among people is going to be rapidly declining, in which case you're going to be coming to a cultural catastrophe in about 15 to 20 years. This is exactly what Solzhenitsyn was predicting. Mm -hmm. This is exactly, I mean, it was almost prophet, uh, you know, prophetic and, and prescient, uh, you know, that uh, as, as he was talking about it. But he had an analytical way of assessing what's wrong with all of this. Mm -hmm. Nobody can be independent of objective moral standards. Nobody can be independent of their conscience, right? Uh, I mean, they, well, they can assert themselves to be independent of their conscience. But of course, if they don't listen to their conscience, they're not going to be the better for it. And they certainly aren't going to be better moral agents for doing that and, and, and so forth. So our, uh, our major point then is, is now that we've abandoned everything that helped us to regulate ourselves, that helped us to move toward the most mm -hmm. loving things, that helped us to move toward the most responsible things, that helped us to move toward the good for others, the common good, the good for family, subsidiarity, everything else that our moral system is based on through the light of natural reason as well as the light of conscience and the light of religion and the light of tradition. All of it now, mm -hmm. subject as it were to the critical test of autonomy and human freedom has been cast right. aside and it will literally lead to the destruction of our culture because it's leading to the destruction of relationships. I mean, you know, the divorce rates out of sight, marriage rates are cut in half, right? This, this is absurd what's going on in our culture. You start to look at what's going on in the emotional health, right? Skyrocketing, you know, 56% increases in suicide pre-COVID, right? 58% uh, 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 right. uh, increases in depression and anxiety, uh, you know, over like a 12-year period. We almost, you know, one and a half times the amount of depression, anxiety, suicide, substance abuse, familial tensions, decline in relationships, and of course embedded in all of it is a decline in spirituality because with a decline in spirituality is also not just a decline in the relationship with God but a decline in hope and a decline in, in a belief of, in, in a better uh, life, a decline in, in the moral standards mm. uh, and, and a, of course a decline in covenant love which right. religion has always promoted through the family. Right. So all these things, it's a crisis. Right. And, and you're, you're, you know, Archbishop Gomez is correct. Right. 
I mean, we, we just got to we got to start speaking truth here uh, to the to the elite powers uh, right. and just uh, tell them you are not doing anything well by us. Uh, this is just an exertion of your own autonomous uh, influence, and you might get some but, narcissistic but, but, pleasure but, from but, it, but, but it's father, killing us. You know, I'm, their intentions are good. Come on. Isn't, isn't that what really matters yeah. these days? As long as your intentions yeah. were good, you know, yeah, what did they say? What did Lenin say? You got to break a few eggs if you yeah. want to make an omelet. Yeah, you know, I mean, right. that's, that's kind of how yeah. it happens. But the, yeah. at the well, end of the day, it'll be good for you. The road to hell you. is paved with those good, good intentions. You don't hear that very often anymore. A lot yeah. of people are, you know, kind of yeah. uh, hide behind good, in, good intentions instead yeah. of looking yeah. at the outcome. And a lot of that, I wonder, you know, we've been living even with the COVID where you could look now and say some of the pronouncements that have come out at different times, uh, apparently we weren't always being told exactly the truth about different things. And it kind of was, well, that's because, you know, this, we were afraid people would think this or that. And, and it kind of leads people to start to wonder, what can I trust? And that's a big problem we have in the in the culture period today, isn't it? Oh yeah, but I mean, what can you trust? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll tell you what you can trust. Uh, when you're, you have on the one hand, you've got religion, consistent traditional moral teaching and your conscience speaking to you on the one hand versus the media, which is incredibly influenced by of course, commercial and uh, money and so forth, except for stations like EWTN, which obviously have a religious purpose. But, but the, the key thing is, is you've got media on the other hand, you've got marketing enterprises and industrialists on the other, and, on the other hand, et cetera. You're going to, okay, who do you trust? Mm -hmm. you know, it, now, what if the educational establishment is basically perpetuating the very same thought as the industrial um, uh, you know, uh, uh, woke uh, movement and the very same thought um, and uh, as the marketers and, and the commercial, um, you know, magnates mm -hmm. of, of the media are doing, right, you begin to suspect for just a second, hey, maybe the elites in the academe world are on the wrong side. Mm -hmm. Maybe their backing of autonomy and freedom over morality and religion and conscience and family, maybe this is just not just a fraud, maybe this is the most upside down evil that has been mm -hmm. perpetrated on society in, in, in centuries. And, and the fact that, let's not be suckered by it. Mm -hmm. Just because influential people or the media says it's good or somebody gives that great principle, everybody's doing it so it can't be all bad, right. et cetera, et cetera. That, that famous end justifies the means principle, mm -hmm. right? The, the idea then is uh, at the end of the day, we've got to challenge it. That's what we as Christians have to do, just say, hey, stop it. You know, you haven't disproven anything. You haven't disproven God. You haven't disproven religion. Mm -hmm. In fact, there's more evidence for God today than there's ever been. There's more evidence today that morality is good for you, good for your emotional well, health, your relational health, your spiritual health, so and cultural why, health than ever so before. Why don't, so why doesn't the culture react to that? Is it cognitive dissonance? Is it just running contrary to what they already believe, or is it contrary to what they want to believe? I think two things. Number one, I think there's a huge lemming effect that goes on in the culture. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in other words, a lot of people follow the followers who are following the previous followers, etc. So mm -hmm. I think you have a lot of people 
unwilling to get out of the so-called mainstream. Mm -hmm. They're unwilling uh, to, to kind of break with the common thought patterns and belief patterns because they don't want to become unpopular. Right. Uh, you know, when uh, Christopher Lash talked about the culture of na narcissism, a former Marxist, by the way, mm -hmm. who, you know, has now kind of come to his senses in, in some ways. But at the time, you know, he wrote that book, The Culture of Narcissism, and this is exactly what he feared, mm -hmm. you know, that, right, for our narcissistic purposes, uh, we basically will follow anybody, we'll believe the, the, the leading thing. We don't want to be unpopular. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> we don't want to get ourselves rejected by anybody who's in the in-group, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing that's going on. And secondly, of course, you know, autonomy and freedom, hey, what's wrong with that? No self-restraint whatsoever. Yeah, uh, just go out and have sex with whoever you want. Uh, just go out and steal things from people who are uh, basically innocent victims. You know, just go out and perpetrate a lie, you know, if it suits you. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you know, I mean, what should be restricting my freedom? All these laws about lies and stealing and, mm -hmm. and adultery, you know, all those things are a thing of the past. Today, what really matters is we're free. What really matters is you should be able to do whatever you need to do so long as it doesn't harm anybody too much. And I'll leave the interpretation of the too much right. up to you. I right. mean, come on. I mean, this is culture of narcissism writ large. Well, you That's know, I problem. remember just recently uh, a politician from Nevada died, and one of the famous stories on him was the fact that he had espoused the idea when Governor Romney was running for president that he hadn't paid his taxes and he was a rich guy who wasn't paying his taxes. Turned out later it was totally untrue, and he was actually challenged yeah. about it, and his answer was, well, he lost, didn't he? Yeah, and justifies means. Absolutely. All over again. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Doesn't matter whether it's good or right. not. Right. Exactly. You know? Got me what I wanted to get. So then Got okay. me what I wanted to get, and right. I deserve it because I'm free, and you guys ought to submit to whatever I want. Right. So just remember, just remember, the old autonomy and freedom thing always winds up backfiring on you. What goes around comes around. You think you're getting your freedom, but just remember, you're undermining all of the restraints that are based in culture that are seeking the good of everybody, the common right. good, those basic moral principles, those basic religious principles oriented toward love and family, mm -hmm. toward the good and the objective good, and toward the widow and the orphan. All of those things, you reject them all, you say you don't have to be responsible to any of them, just remember, son Roper, as Thomas More said, mm -hmm. just remember, get rid of all those trees that you cut down in order to pursue the devil. What happens when he turns back on you and you have no defense to hide behind? Right. Well, that's what's happening. Remember, you take out all those objective moral principles and all those religious principles, you take out belief and hope, it's going to come back to haunt you. Right. Do you think you're going to be in the super elite? Uh, there's a wonderful book written by C.S. Lewis called That Hideous Strength. Mm -hmm. And the super elite are kind of in a group called The Nice. I don't want to destroy the book for you. Mm -hmm. Could give you nightmares really reading about it. 
But the nice were not so nice. <laughs> they basically, at the end of the day, it was everybody for himself. Mm -hmm. And of course, they all destroy themselves. But you have to read the book. Right. But uh, it, it's the basic theme is, yeah, you, you right. say you want extra freedom and for this autonomy and freedom to overrule all traditional moralities and, and traditions and, and uh, objective moral principles right. and religion and uh, the collective conscience of people. You think right. it can overrule it? Well, boy, you know, you destroy all those things. There's nothing to, to protect you when the super, super, super elite come right. back on just the super elite and the elite, and they'll subjugate you, and they'll treat you like slaves right. for the benefit of their own freedom, their own autonomy, to get what they wanted. Right. And uh, we, I've belabored this subject. Right. Well, that's through. okay. As Little Red Riding Hood <laughs> learned in Into the Woods, the musical, nice yeah. is different than good. I thought that was always yeah. what I was saying. So <laughs> let's, move, let's move on to uh, some questions from our viewers. Uh, uh, without yeah. putting you on the spot, dear Father Spitzer, you're not a canon lawyer, but I heard of a priest who left the church and became an Episcopalian priest. Does transubstantiation still occur because of his Catholic orders, George? No, it does. No, it does not. Mm -hmm. I mean, basically, he's still a priest forever in the Catholic Church in that sense. But no, I mean, once you shift rights and become part of another rite, no, the transubstantiation. Uh, doesn't occur because of your orders. No. Okay, very good. Next up, a uh, person writes to us, Dear Father Spitzer, I go to Mass daily, uh, and there's no morning Mass in my parish and none close by, so I attend a vigil Mass on Saturday evenings and then go to Mass the next morning for my Sunday obligation. I was told I cannot receive communion on Sunday if I received at the Saturday vigil, the reason being they were the same Mass. This doesn't seem correct to me. Terry. It's not correct. That's, uh, uh, you're absolutely correct. Whoever said that to you, uh, technically speaking, it is the same Mass, but you're attending on two different days, and you're attending with a different purpose and so forth and on both days. So uh, don't you worry one's uh, right. uh, shred about that. To receive and to communicate frequently on two different days is a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. By the way, a tradition that goes all the way back uh, well before um, you know, to, uh, to the uh, 13th century with uh, Thomas Akempis and so many others. I mean, uh, the whole idea of frequent communion has been very much uh, proposed by the Catholic Church and promoted by the Catholic right. Church. So you keep doing what you're doing. You're doing exactly the right thing. And whoever said that to you is definitely misinformed. Okay. Next up, another question. Dear Father Spitzer,